Um, tonight we're starting a new series that we're calling uh, Reach, Reframing the Church. And I have been so excited to start this series because we're going to just spend some time talking about you know, what the church is, why we do what we do, and what is our vision. You know, we, we've been spending a lot of time praying and talking to the Lord, like, what are our next steps, you know? And uh, we're going to talk about the next steps of our campus here. So this coming Easter, it'll be two years since uh, we've launched our campus, which is amazing to me. You know, you think back, it's easy to always be looking forward with things, you know? Uh, I, I spent a lot of time this week just looking back and, and remembering what it was like about three years ago when we started planning for this campus, you know, and praying about this campus and feeling like God had given us this vision to plant something, this calling to plant something in Barberton. And so, you know, we started the process of gathering a group of people together. Some of them, you, have been here since the very beginning. And, uh, and then two years ago, we launched this campus. And, and ever since then, we've been developing relationships with each other, getting to know each other, developing relationships with the community. And God has been working in the lives of many of us that have been a part of this, changing us, growing us, blessing us. And so during that time, we've been praying, you know, and listening to him and, and asking him to show us what the next steps are. What does is, what is the future hold for us? And so now we sit here two years into it, and we're like, all right, we're going. Like, things are going. Things are moving. You know, what do, what do the next two years look like? And so that's what we're going to talk about uh, in this series. We're going to talk about the future. We're going to talk about what that looks like for us as a campus and what it looks like for each of us individually. Do you ever spend time just like dreaming about the future? You know, as, as a kid, you dream about the future more. As a kid, my dream for my future was that I would be an NBA player. Why are you laughing? That's not nice. It, it didn't come true. But I had a backup dream. You know what my backup dream was? My backup dream was to be a mailman in North Carolina. I thought that'd be like the best job. I didn't know mailman went crazy and like, you know, did, I just thought it'd be like the best job in the world. Beautiful weather, you know, walking outside all the time. Anyway, as kids, we dream, right? We dream about the future. As adults, we tend maybe not to dream as much. And maybe when we think about the future, we worry a little bit more about the future. Like, I hope I, hope I don't lose my job. I, I hope my kids don't get sick. I, I hope my basement doesn't leak. I hope the wind this past week doesn't blow my house down. We had a trampoline in our backyard. It used to be in our backyard. It literally blew across the yard, across the street, and down the road. Crazy, right? Crazy. Anyway, as adults, we tend to worry a little bit more as we think about the future. But if we're wise, we plan for the future, right? We plan for the future. We don't just let the future happen to us, however it happens. I love, I love how Bob said, man, if you're here last, uh, Josiah did a great job on Saturday night as well. If you were here Sunday morning, Pastor Bob was with us Sunday morning, and he never ceases to amaze me. That guy is incredible, mid-late 70s and just as energetic, as on fire as you could ever imagine. But one thing he said last week, he was talking about the future. He said, with the future, you grab, you grab life by the throat, right? <laughs> grab life by the throat. And, and we pray, and we plan, and we prepare, and then we attack the future that we feel like God has given us a vision for. And that's what we're going to do as a campus. That's what we're going to focus on in this, next, in this series that we're starting tonight. And this is a really exciting thing. Like, this is a positive thing because God's been growing us 
It's really cool. God's been bringing more and more people, and our campus has been growing. And when things grow, things change, right? Like that's growth means change. That's how it happens. I remember when my uh, younger brother, brother is four years younger than me. I remember when he was a kid, uh, he would he would wake up. He had like this period of time where he'd wake up like almost every night. It, it it seemed like it lasted a long time. Maybe it was two weeks or something. But he would wake up and he'd have leg pains, you know because he was growing, he, his, bo- his bones hurt him. He'd have these, he's, these growing pains. And our campus is growing too. And as we grow, sometimes you have growing pains. Sometimes you have things that you gotta deal with. You have things that you have to do things differently with and you need to change and you need to adapt and we need to refocus and we commit. And so if you're a guest um, here tonight, I wanna, I wanna say this, first of all, thanks for being here. I'm really glad that you're here. I hope you can uh, relax, make yourself comfortable, and just kind of take everything in. Uh, This series is a little bit different than any other series, really any other series that we've done so far as a campus. Uh, We're going to be talking very much to the church family here at Grace Church Barbering Campus. So if you're a guest, you need to know this. This is not typical. Like what what we're doing in this series is not typical of what you would experience here at Grace Church. However, I want to encourage you to, to really tune in to this series because I think this, this family conversation that we're going to have over these next four weeks is going to give you some insight into who we are as Grace Church and why we do some of the things that we do. And so um, if you aren't a guest and you're like a regular here, then I want to say up front, um, I'm going to challenge you very bluntly over the next four weeks of this series to to take the next steps of commitment and involvement here at our campus because we need you like we we need that we need you to move forward and because this is your church right this isn't like grace church this isn't pastor jeff's church this is this is your really it's jesus's church right but but this is your church as well we share responsibility and we share ownership of this church as Jesus calls us to be his church, right? And so, um, you know, the Lord has, has seen fit over the last four months to bless us with a building. Like, this is awesome. You know, if you're newer to our campus, we've been here literally four months. And uh, it, we've been at the school for, you know, 21 months, something like that, before that. And I, I can tell you what the tendency um, when churches ha- that do set up and tear down finally get a building, many times, many times, what happens is they get complacent. They get comfortable. They start, they start kind of coasting. Like, eh, people go, yeah, they don't need me as much. I mean, they needed me when we had to set up and tear down everything. But, they, you know, every, all the chairs are here. They're comfy chairs, right? Like, they don't need me. They start, we start talking about the good old days, right? And we lose effectiveness, and, and I want to say this, and I'll keep saying this, uh, we're not going to do that. We, we can't do that. What we're doing here as a church, as Jesus' church, is too important. There is nothing more important that I want to do with my life more than making disciples for Jesus. There, there is nothing more important for me. And, and not because I'm a pastor and I'm supposed to, but because I've experienced the love of Jesus. I've experienced forgiveness. 
I've experienced acceptance, unconditional love. And so there's nothing more important that I want to do with my life than helping other people get a hold of that, helping other people experience that. And so it starts with my family first, right? Like I got, I got to take care of my family. And so I go, I got to help my kids understand who Jesus is. I got to help my kids become disciples of Jesus. And then I look to the world and I go, I want to help anybody else that God puts in my path become a disciple of Jesus. And here's the thing. I need your help. As a church, I need your help. It's not just the pastor's job, right? Like this is all of our job. Because the church is the hope for the world. I, I believe that with all of my heart. The church sharing the rescue and healing love of God with the sick and dying world, that is our only hope. And so you and I have the cure to the root problem that the world is facing. We have the cure. I, I went uh, a few weeks ago now to a, um, a, a conversation, a panel discussion on the opiate crisis in Barberton, and, and it, was, it was a great experience. They had, I don't know, 12, 15 different people um, in this panel, and each of them spoke for probably five to seven minutes, and they told a little bit about what they're doing or the organization that they represent is doing to battle this opiate crisis. And I walked away from that, and, I, and I'll be honest with you, I was amazed. I was amazed at all of the stuff that these different organizations are doing around our city specifically, to, at, at least at the civic level, to help combat this problem of the opiate crisis. Barberton is one of the worst cities, really the 44203 area code, and Barberton specifically is one of the worst cities in the country for opiate overdoses. It's, it's absolutely incredible. But you know what I walked away from that, from that meeting thinking? And, and, and this is going to sound bad at first, but I, I thought they're fighting a losing battle. They're, they're fighting a losing battle. They are doing so much. Like so many people, so many organizations are doing so much, really all that they can do, all that we can really expect them to do to fight this crisis. But really, all they're fighting are the symptoms of a problem. They're, they're, they're not actually fighting the problem. They're fighting a losing battle because they're fighting the symptoms. And here's the thing. They're not equipped to fight the problem. They're not equipped to fight the problem. But you know who is? The church. The church is equipped to fight the problem. When people grasp how wide and high and deep and long the love of Christ is and they receive it, they grab a hold of that, that's what's going to destroy the drug problem in our community. Because when we grasp that, then what happens? Well, I'm not looking to you know, drugs or alcohol or pornography or any other unhealthy way to make me feel good, to bring me satisfaction, to bring me pleasure. I already have it in Jesus, right? See, I, I walked away from that meeting thinking, man, they're doing a lot. Like at the civic level, they're doing all that they could do. And then I thought, church has got to do more. Like us. We got to do more. I'll come back to that a little bit later. So I, I realize I'm starting off this sermon very serious and very strong. And so forgive me. I have just been so excited to, to dig into this stuff with you. And this is a serious conversation over these next four weeks. Um, 
and I'm excited about it. So at the end of January, we did our State of the Church discussion. So every year we do kind of look back at the year and like, how's the year gone? And then we look forward to the year and say, what are some things that we want to like target and what are some goals that we want to set? And one of the words that we said uh, that we want to uh, kind of have a goal of this year, it's centered around this word belong, belong. And so this evening, I am excited to talk about what it means for us to belong. When I was a kid, I always liked those little activities where uh, you're looking at like a picture or, or a sequence of things, and you had to, to find the thing that doesn't belong, you know? You know what I'm talking about? Like, I love those things. I like trying to figure out like what doesn't fit in these pictures. And so sometimes it's obvious, like oh, that first picture, sometimes it's obvious what doesn't belong, right? Like, we got to look at that and go, that is a picture of oranges with one apple on the inside. That apple is the thing that doesn't belong. Other times, it can be a little more challenging, go to the next one, to figure out what doesn't belong. All right, you look at that. You see it? Looking close. No? That's a bunch of flamingos and? There's a duck in the middle, or a goose, or a swan, or something like that, on one leg. It's incredible, all right? Yeah, sometimes it's not as obvious. Here's another one. Sometimes the difference is just heartbreaking. You look at that. that do, do you see the difference there? That is, a, that is a, a box full of donuts with one very inferior fatty bread mixed in. There's a bagel in there. You see it, lower right side? Who would do such a thing? Mix a, that's like a dirty trick, you know? But, but for things to belong, they don't all have to be the same. Like, that's a plate full of donuts. They all look like donuts with holes in the middle. But for things to belong, they don't have to be the same. And sometimes, there's, even when things don't look you know, exactly the same, there's things that don't belong. Go to the next one. So this is a bunch of things that don't look the same. What doesn't belong in that picture? Kale, man, you guys are way more, I would call that lettuce, but I think that's it, right? All right, we got a bunch of fruit, and then you got the vegetable. The vegetables are always the things that don't belong. Right, kids? Right, Jeff. Yeah. How about this one? This is one I took the other day at my house. What doesn't belong here? You see that? It's a bunch of toys. You got a Barbie. You got some sort of, like, pumpkin house thing. You got a, a couple fluffy-haired dolls, a, a little stuffed animal, and you got Spider-Man sitting in the middle there, Right? So we got a bunch of Natalie's toys, my daughter Natalie's toys, and we got one of Luke's toys in the middle. How about this one? Go to this last one. This is in my garage. You know what that is? What doesn't belong there? <laughs> we, got a, we got a jump rope, we got a kettlebell, we got some weights, a med ball, and we got a pack of Oreos. The Ore the, it's hard for me to say it, the Oreos don't belong. I feel like they do. Well, what's the point? Well, the point is there's such a thing as belonging, right? And it's not fun not to belong. Like, how do you think those Oreos felt, you know? All that CrossFit equipment. I, I wanted to make them feel better, so I ate a couple afterwards <laughs> to make sure the Oreos felt special, you know what I mean? Seriously, for human beings, we all want to belong, don't we? And we feel terrible when we don't belong. Like, that's a, that's a terrible feeling when we don't belong, to be lonely. I, I was doing some research this week. I, I, it's, it's always interesting to me to look at what the 
um, the secular world, maybe that's a good way to say it, the secular world says about things. And so I was looking at just some kind of academia, the social sciences, what they say about belonging and, and the human need to belong. And it's interesting how broadly accepted it is outside of the church, just in the world, how broadly accepted it is that, that, that a primal need for us as human beings is to belong. And not, not just belong in general, but, but belong to other human beings or belong with other human beings. And then how harmful it is for us when we don't belong, when we feel like we don't belong anywhere. And so I, I, I'll give you a couple quotes here. The first one, this is from um, Amanda, I can't say her last name, but she's commenting on this journal article uh, research from the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. Anyway, this is what she says. She says, belonging is primal, fundamental to our sense of happiness and well-being. Belonging is a psychological lever that has broad consequences. She's commenting on this guy Walton's research. She said, our interests, motivation, health, and happiness are inextricably tied to the feeling, to the feeling that we belong to a greater community that may share common interests and aspirations. Isolation, loneliness, and low social status can harm a person's subjective sense of well-being, as well as his or her intellectual achievement, immune system, and health. Isn't that interesting? When we don't feel like we belong, our health can actually be affected by that. Our intelligence and our health. Research shows that even a single instance of exclusion can undermine well-being, IQ, test performance, and self-control. Isn't that interesting? How about this one? This is from uh, somebody, I can't, I can't remember the name, but she's commenting on the work of two researchers, Roy Baumeister and Mark Leary. Go to that next one. It says, uh, it's, it's a guy, Aaron Benzieve. Baumeister and Leary argue that the lack of belongingness causes various undesirable effects, including a, disease, uh, sorry, a decrease in the levels of health, happiness, and adjustment. They further assert that people who lack belongingness suffer high levels of mental and physical illness and, have, and are more prone to a broad range of behavioral problems ranging from traffic accidents to criminality to suicide. Isn't that fascinating? So without a doubt, like across the board, modern psychology tells us how important it is for us as human beings. It is a primal need as human beings to belong and how beneficial it is for us when we feel that, when we feel like we belong and how detrimental it is to us when we don't feel like we belong. Now, they don't always agree on what healthy belonging looks like, right? So they would maybe define what healthy belonging looks like differently, right? But they all agree that belonging is like part of how we're wired as human beings. Now, stop and think about that for a minute. Where does that come from? Where does that come from? Like, why do we all feel like we need to belong? Not every other life form on this planet feels that. Plants don't feel like they need to belong. In fact, most animals don't have the same sort of need. There's packs, but most animals don't have the same sort of need to belong the way that you and I have a need to belong. Where does that come from? Well, there's lots of different opinions out there of where that comes from. So some would say it's a simple result of evolution, right? Social belonging as an adaptation gives me a better chance of survival and, and the survival of my offspring. Strength in numbers, right? When we're gathered, when I belong to a pack, 
I have a better chance of survival. That's what an evolutionist would say. Other people might say, you know, it's just like chance reality. It just, it just is, you know? It just happens to be part of how our species is made. In fact, maybe it's a negative part of our species. I need other people because I'm just not strong enough to do it on my own. That's how some people think. A Christian would see it differently. As Christians, we go, nah, belonging, it doesn't just give me a better chance of survival. That's not why I feel like I need to belong. It's, it's not a weakness that I just have to, to mitigate, to deal with. No, that's not how it is. God made me this way. God, like God, the one who created me, made me this way. And it's not by accident. It's not, it just is. But he did it for a reason. It's interesting. When you go back to the very, very beginning of the Bible, you, you actually see God's plan for this. You see his plan in making us life forms that need to belong. You've probably heard the story. If you go back to the very beginning of your Bible to Genesis, you don't have to flip it. I'll just, I'll just talk you through it. You can if you want. But if you go back to the very beginning of your Bible, like page one, Genesis chapter one, you see at the very beginning, God creates everything, right? He creates the universe. He creates time. He creates the earth. He creates life. He creates everything. On the sixth day, what does he do? Well, he creates the very most important part of his creation. He creates us. And it says that when he creates us, he created us in his image. We are created in the image of God. It says that about nothing else that God creates. We're like the pinnacle of his creation. He created us in his image. And so when God makes the very first person, Adam, it says in Genesis 2.12, he says, this is God who says this. He says, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So God says, nah, I, I, made, I just made you exactly how I wanted you to be. It's not good for you to be alone. I'm going to make a helper suitable for you. And so God brings all of the other animals that he created. He brings them to Adam. And he says, you know, is this somebody suitable for you? And it's just like none of them were right for him. None of them were suitable. He didn't belong with any of them. And so what does God do? He puts Adam into this deep sleep. And he, and he literally takes a piece of him. It says he opens him up and he takes a rib out of him. And he takes that rib and he makes a woman. He makes somebody who's similar but different. A similar but different counterpart to Adam. He makes a woman. He makes Eve. And then, he, you know, Adam eventually wakes up, I guess. He wakes up and he, and he sees Eve and he's like, ah, right? He's like, this is what I'm talking about. She's bone of my bone. She's flesh of my flesh. I, I'm going to call her woman because we're the same. We woman is very similar to man, right? Especially in the Hebrew. They sound very similar. I'm going to call her woman because we're the same. We belong together. And with this mutual sense of belonging, Adam and Eve begin the human existence together. Isn't that interesting? Like, that's, that's what God did. God designed and manufactured us to have this need for belonging with each other. And this is literally thousands and thousands of years before the social sciences had any, like the social sciences didn't discover this. Academia didn't discover this, right? The Bible has said this for a long, long time. And we all feel this need, right? Every single one of us, whether you're Christian, Jewish, Muslim, Hindu, atheist, agnostic, it doesn't matter. Every single one of us feel this. And then Christians then believe it's God who created us. 
this way. It's not just a way for us to survive. It's not just a weakness that we have to mitigate. It's how God wired us to be. But then what's also clear in Christianity is that our need for belonging isn't just met through belonging with other human beings. There's an even greater belonging that God has wired us to need, that God has wired us to want. So think back, go back to Genesis. Think back to when God first created human beings. He created Adam and Eve to have, to have deep, intimate, belonging relationships with each other, right? That's how he made them, to have deep, intimate, belonging relationships with each other. But that's actually the second relationship for each of them. They both had two deep, intimate, belonging relationships. One of them was with each other. The other one was with who? God, right? Before we get to Genesis 3, when sin comes in the picture, you get this image of Adam and Eve, Adam and his wife Eve, living in a beautiful garden, the Garden of Eden, right? And he's in deep, they're in deep, intimate relationship with each other, and they're in deep, intimate relationship with God. They're loved, they're accepted, they belong to one another, and they belong to God. It's beautiful. You, you read it, and you, it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's actually the way that God designed it to be. It's the way it's supposed to be. What do we call that? It's like paradise, right? Like it's, this is, they lived in paradise. That's how they lived. Now, sometimes when we can think of living in paradise, like when I think of living in paradise, I think of like Florida, you know, it's gorgeous down there. Sometimes when we think of living in paradise, we can think of like the, the, the environment that's around us. Like, oh man, they lived in the Garden of Eden. Like this beautiful garden with, with lush foliage and rolling hills and plenty of food to eat, like vine-ripened food, like the best you could ever imagine. But that isn't what made the Garden of Eden paradise. We need to be very clear here. That's not what made the Garden of Eden paradise. What made the Garden of Eden paradise was the deep, intimate, belonging relationship with God and with each other. That's what made it paradise. And so then what happens? Well, sin enters the world. And when sin enters the world, it messes everything up. And so Adam and Eve, they choose sin over God, right? They do the one thing. God says, I got one rule here. Don't eat from this tree. And so what do they do? They go eat from the tree, right? And so they choose sin over God. And what does God do? He casts them out of the garden, which is only significant because it meant that because of their sin, no longer could they enjoy a deep, intimate, belonging relationship with him the way that they enjoyed it before. When sin entered into the picture, everything changed, right? Their relationship with God was different. It was less than it was no longer paradise. Paradise was lost forever. Guess what else is affected with it? They're, they're belonging to God, right? But also they're belonging to each other. So it's interesting. As soon as they're, they're first caught in sin by God, what happens next? You guys know the story? God says, why did you do that? What, like, what, what did you do? And they go, oh man, we ate the fruit that we weren't supposed to eat. And, and, and God's like, why, why did you do that? Do you remember what Adam says? He goes, she made me do it. That woman, he doesn't even call her Eve. That woman that you made for me made me do it. 
And so sin comes in, affects their relationship with God, and then it affects their relationship with each other. The very first fight between man and woman happens right then. And then guess what happens? They, they start having kids and their relationship with their kids are affected as well. You know, you, the, think about this. The very first cold-blooded murder that ever happened, according to the Bible, in the existence of the world, happened between the very two first offspring of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Cain kills his brother Abel. He literally murders his brother Abel right after sin enters into the world. And so instead of the world being a paradise that's defined by belonging, now the world is defined by sin and despair and hurt and misery and lies and hopelessness. Well, fast forward, we're talking about thousands of years ago, right? Fast forward thousands of years to today, to the world that we live in now. Guess what? It's still messed up, right? By sin and despair and hurt and misery and lies and hopelessness. And we don't know how to make things right. We're so focused on those things, sin and despair and lies and hopelessness. We're so focused on those things that we spend all of our time just trying to stop those things or trying to lessen those things. But really, we're just spinning our wheels. Why? Well, because the sin and despair and hurt and misery and lies and hopelessness, they're not the problem. They're not the problem. They're the symptoms, right? It's like what I was talking about with the, with the drug crisis in the community. The drugs aren't the problem. The sin and the misery, all that stuff's not the problem. It's the symptom. And we've gotten so focused on the symptoms that we've forgotten what the problem is. What's the problem? Well, the problem is we have no deep, intimate, belonging relationship with God or with each other as the people of God. That's the problem. Guys, this is why the church is so important. This is why the church is the hope for the world because we have the answer to the problem that's ailing the world. The world says, we want to belong, right? Every, we're included with that, every single one of us. We go, man, I, just, I want to belong. The church says, man, there is a deep, intimate, belonging relationship with the God of the universe that's available <clears throat> to every single one of us that will fundamentally change your life for the better, right? We have an answer. The world goes, well, well I, I want to belong, but I want to belong to something meaningful, like something meaningful. And we go, listen, when you accept that deep, intimate, belonging relationship with the God of the universe, you also have available to you a deep, intimate, belonging relationship with the people of God, with the church, who've been given the most meaningful mission in the history of the world to go out and help other people be reconciled to a God that loves them, right? There's no more meaningful mission than the mission that the church has been given. As listen, this is so important. If you're, if you're here tonight and you're like trying to figure out if this is the place for you, like what Grace Church is all about, this is so important for you to understand about Grace Church's understanding of the purpose, God's purpose of the church. Because some of our understanding of the church needs reframing. We get all these frames around, right? Some of our understandings of the church needs reframing. Listen, this is so important. The end goal of belonging in the church is not, not 
to grow and mature and fall deeper in love with God and have my spiritual, my emotional, my, rela my relational needs met. That, that is not the goal of the church. That's not the end goal of the church. If that's what you think being part of the church is about, you're missing it. You're missing it. Because the church is not just about us. I am not the end goal and neither are you. The end goal of the church is that you would grow, that you would mature, that you would fall deeper in love with God, that you would have your spiritual, your relational, your social, your emotional needs met so that, so that we can be used by God to help other people be reconciled to God. That's the end goal of the church. When we see ourselves and our growth as the end goal of being a part of all this, we miss the whole thing. It's not about you. It's not about me. One of the things that we say around here, I love the simplicity of this statement. It can be taken out of context, but I love the simplicity of this statement. The church is not for the church. The church is for the world. You're not, you're not just here. I hope you don't stick around and come back next week just because, uh, man, I really love the worship. John and, and every, the band is amazing, or this is a pretty good message. I hope, that's not, I hope that's not the reason you come back. I hope you come back because, man, I want to grow deeper in love with Jesus so that I can help other people grow deeper in love with Jesus, so I can be challenged and prepared and sent and encouraged to go on out and to do that. And so it's in that context that we're doing this series. And, I, and, and it's in that context that I say, I have no problem asking each of you, challenging each of you to commit to the church in deeper ways. I, I have no problem with it at all, to, to belong in deeper ways, which is what we're talking about today, to serve in deeper ways, which is what we're gonna talk about next week to pray in deeper ways and share the gospel in deeper ways and to give generously in deeper ways. We're gonna talk about giving as well in this series. It's important. And even though I know that many of us are really busy and we got so much stuff going on and lives can be crazy, I don't feel bad about asking you, commit to this in deeper ways because we can't be so focused on things that are less important. And you, I don't mean to minimize any of the things that we have going on in our lives. There's some important things, but we can't focus on the less important things and sacrifice the most important thing, to be the church that God is calling us to be, that God has designed us to be. Guys, we have everything. This is a cool, this is a cool thought for me this week. Like I, sm I smiled when I thought of this. We have everything right now available at this campus to do and to be everything that God is calling us to do and to be. Right, right now, in these three services this weekend, people that call Grace Church their home, we have everything that we need right now to do everything that God is calling us to do. Everything. All we need to do is activate it. Right? Like we just, we just got to activate it. You, you remember um, when I was a kid, I used to like to watch the Justice League. I love superhero stuff. I've said that a lot of times. I, I love superhero stuff. So like the Justice League cartoons, you know, you got Superman and Wonder Woman. I may have had a crush on Wonder Woman. Aquaman, Wonder Twins. You guys remember the Wonder Twins? 
Yeah, some of you are like, amen, brother, yes. The Wonder Twins, you know what the Wonder Twins did? They were like two ordinary teenagers until they did a really cool fist bump. <laughs> they went like that, and they said, Wonder Twins powers, activate. Remember that? And then, and, then, and then when they did that, their powers activated, and they could become like anything. I, I was, <laughs> my kids had no idea who the Wonder Twins were, so I'm like YouTubing it, you know? And they became like ridiculous things. Like one of them, one of the episodes, she became an octopus, and he became an ice unicycle, <laughs> which is cool, right? I mean, I, anyway, why am I telling you that? Because we have everything that we need here. We just need to activate who you are. We need to activate how God has wired you to be who God has called you to be, to be his church. Guys, we live in a community, or we meet. I know not everybody here lives in Barberton but you're part of the Barberton campus. We meet in a community that is starving for hope. We meet in a community that is starving for meaning, that's starving for purpose and starving for truth. And we have all of those things. And we cannot, we cannot be people who sit in our, in our nice new comfortable building, our safe building with comfortable chairs and ignore it. We gotta, we gotta do something about it. We gotta go out and we gotta be who God has designed us to be and we gotta do what God has designed us to do. So the first part of all of that, I think, centers on belonging. You know, this, this idea of belonging that we've been talking about. And so here's my challenge. I, wanna ch I, just, I told you earlier, I'm gonna just bluntly challenge you in each week of this series. I, I wanna challenge you, if you call Grace Church Barberton Campus your home, to belong in deeper ways. If, you, if you're a guest and you're like, I don't know yet, it's cool. Feel no pressure, right? Like take time to figure it out. But if you're like, man, this is, I've been coming every week. Like I think I like it here. I think this is the place. I wanna challenge you to belong in deeper ways. Maybe you've been coming to service you know, a couple times a month. Maybe you don't really know anybody yet. You don't really have any relationships yet. Maybe your powers aren't activated yet. Man, you, you really need to belong. When, when you came in, you got a program, pull it out. So in, in our program each week, pull out the white card inside. This one, it's got a little graphic on it. It's two-sided. Flip, flip to the graphic side. We're gonna have a version of this in our program each week, and each week I'm gonna challenge you with it. And so this week we're talking about belong. Look at, look at the graphic, just look at the I don't know what color that is. Baby diarrhea, yellow color. <laughs> I think that's the Crayola color, the technical name. Anyway, look at the one that says belong. So you see a little bar graph there. It says 68 and 102. So our goal, I share this at State of the Church, our goal this year is to um, raise the number of people that are part of, um, so we have a small group system here, just I was talking about it earlier. We call them grace groups. They're just small groups. They're just groups of people that gather together every week and they talk about God. Basically, they pray together, they talk about the Bible together, and they're like sharing life together. That's all a grace group is. And so um, we've actually, so as our numbers in attendance have grown great over the last year, our numbers in biblical community actually have, have dropped some. And so we're looking and we're praying, and we're like, God, we need to do something, about, we need you to do something about this. And so we want to help. We, our goal this year is to raise that number by 50%. So that's 
So the average number of people throughout this past 12 months in a small group each week is 68 people. And we said, we want to raise it up to 100, 102 people. That's 50% growth. And, and so here's the thing. I know it's a challenging thing to get into a small group when you don't know anybody, you don't know what to expect, all that. Uh, Josiah in the back and um, w one or two of our grace group leaders after each of the services this weekend are going to be hanging back there. We're cap sitting right in front of the soundboard back there. And it literally is going to be a 10, 15 minute discussion. And all we want to do is answer any questions you have, give you a little bit of information, what a small group, what a grace group is like, and help you take the next steps to belong, right? And so some of you, many of you are connected to a group. It's awesome. We have a list of the groups back there. Uh, there's about 10 of them. If you are able to, after the service, go back there and talk with them. If you're not, mark it on here. Put your contact information and mark it right under belong. It says, I want to get connected to a grace group. Or the second thing that we got coming up next weekend <clears throat> is our Discover Grace class. And so this is like uh, Grace Church 101. You know, like who are we? What are we about? Why do we do what we do? The staff is there. We have lunch together. We're going to do it right across the parking lot in the student ministry building over there. And so that's next weekend. If you want to be a part of it, it helps us as we plan for food to know. You know, it's funny. We did The last time we did this, um, afterwards, I had a bunch of people that were like, oh, I wanted to go. I just didn't. I forgot to mark it. Like, just mark it. Like, if you want to go, tell us. We would love for you to go. If you forget until next weekend, I guess that's fine. Still come. But it would help us if you mark it on there uh, to come to that. And so that'll give you basic information about who we are. You can mark that on there. After service, you can go right over there. And we will do everything possible. We won't harass you. We won't, like, make life difficult for you. But we'll do everything we can to help you get connected to a group of people that you can feel like you belong with that you could do life together with. That makes sense? If you guys have questions, I'll be, I'll be around afterwards as well. Um, we wanna help you take that next step.